All right. Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to Bible Quest, the Tuesday edition. So, uh, what are we going to talk about today, uh, Dan? Dan, you had a topic. What do you uh, what do you want to get us started with? Yeah. Um, when I even when I sent out an email to to you guys to to be thinking about it, I didn't know then how to the right vocabulary or words to to describe it, and I don't have a better version of it right now. But just the idea about how how great God is, and how great godliness and being in God. Uh, how good that is. We need to really uh, remember that in our own lives so that we can keep um, our motivation in the right sense, uh, that we are uh, that we are part of the definition of being godly is having this mindset and direction and focus on God. Um, it's not just about a behavior that looks like God, but that we are looking to God. And remembering how good he is and how blessed our life is because of him will help us as we are trying to interact and deal with our surroundings and deal with the temptations and deal with the troubles that are out there. But also when we have those ideas on the tip of our tongue, we will be well able uh, to, to speak to other people who, uh, are, who are also dealing with troubles uh, in their own lives or troubles in the environment around them. And we can let them know uh, when, when you have God in your life, when you, when you, uh, put that sort of a focus to be looking to him that you have a good life. It is a blessed life. And I think it's important, again, so that we have good direction, but then for others to hear that, because sometimes uh, I think the view is being godly means you can't, and then it's fill in the blank. You can't have fun. You can't play. You can't do this. Um, that being godly is abstaining from all things all the time. And that's not the de the description of, of being in God. That's not the way that Jesus describes it, even though Jesus himself tells people that they need self-control. And uh, those are the ideas that I wanted to talk about today. And one passage that I think is a great place to begin with this is at the end of Matthew chapter 11. Now, these are verses that I think a lot of people know. People that don't know the Bible very well might even recognize a number of the phrases that Jesus uses here. But he's looking at the, the problems of the people around him, and he's complaining and frustrated with, honestly, they, these are godly people who are not listening to God the way they ought. They're not listening to Jesus at all, and they're not listening to God the way they ought, and he's frustrated with that. And so then he turns to these people that are around him, and he says in verses 28, so Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28, to the end of the chapter, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And, and that's what Jesus offers, and we need to make sure that we know that in our own hearts, that because I am with Christ, this isn't bragging, but I know that I'm with Christ, and that means that I have rest for my soul, even though I feel restless at times and feel tired at times. I have a peace um, that goes beyond the way my body feels today, and I have a hope that uh, goes beyond the, uh, the difficulties of my day. And that's what Jesus is inviting people to come to, and that's what we need to invite people to see in God. Let's talk about one of the things you mentioned, um, that Christianity is not just a list of things that you don't do. So a couple of ways of looking at this. First, we'll think about the Ten Commandments. 
how many of the Ten Commandments were positive? Here's what to do. Mm -hmm. uh, one, <laughs> two, yeah. Remember the Sabbath. Yeah. Although it did have a negative in there, don't do any work at it, but it was yeah. mostly positive. Remember the Sabbath and honor your father and mother. Honor your father and mother. All the rest were no's. You know, don't do this, don't do that, don't do that. Don't. And those are very, very important. But when Jesus was asked what was the greatest commandment of all, which of the Ten Commandments did he quote? Yeah, none of them. All right. He quoted Deuteronomy chapter 6, which says... Love, love the Lord. It's a positive and a, a creative act. Love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And then he added to it, he said, and the second greatest commandment is... To love your neighbor. Love your, so this is vertical. God's above us. Don't, don't do like Eve did. Start disrespecting God and exalting self. No. God's there, and then love your neighbor as yourself. And then Paul said, well, and then Jesus goes on to say, all of the other commandments hang on those two. Because yeah. if you love God, are you going to put other gods before him? Are you going to reduce him to a piece of wood or, or a statue? Mm -hmm. And if you love your neighbor, what does Paul say in Romans 13? He says, oh, no man, anything except to love your neighbor, because if you love your neighbor, that's fulfilled the law. Because if you love him, you're not going to kill him. You're not going to, mm -hmm. you're not going to steal from him. And so it's, it's a superior law. So both are important. <clears throat> but sometimes, and this will be the last point I'll make here on this, is sometimes people get the idea, I'm a good Christian if I don't so give me some of the things that Christians don't do like here's some teenagers you know i'm a christian because i don't miss church services i don't miss church i don't lie i don't cuss i don't drink i don't smoke i don't steal i don't you know uh, here's all these things i don't do um take any pew in the building <laughs> lie well, it, I mean, it, it lies there. Yeah, it, <laughs> it, it doesn't do any of those things. And it's always a church. But it's, it's not a Christian. Mm -hmm. yeah, there's yeah. a po positive outlook to all of this, right? Uh, and even in the passage, Matthew 11, uh, Jesus is talking to people who feel, they feel burdened. Um, and I, I do think in context, they probably feel burdened with the kind of self-righteousness that the Jewish leaders of the day have tried to impose upon them. In context, you've got uh, accusations of Jesus breaking the Sabbath day. Mm -hmm. um, Jesus says, I'm Lord of the Sabbath. I'm Lord of the rest um, that, that I can give to you. Um, mm -hmm. and, and so here are people who are concerned for righteousness. And they're doing, 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 doing. And Jesus does not come to them and say, what are you talking about? Quit your doing. Uh, it's a different kind of doing. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it's, a, it's a following him. It's a partnering with him. Uh, to, you know, peace, perfect peace. There's that song, um, the verse that says, to do the will of Jesus, this is rest. And so he invites us to, to work for him. But it's out of a kind of trust. Uh, rather than out of a kind of fear that we're not we're not approved of, um, which is uh, this is maybe another 
side discussion, but the, the gospel is quite clear. But before we got on, we were talking about Romans 1. Um, we are not approved of. We, we are not righteous. And so we should sense this need, this kind of hunger for righteousness. Um, so it's, it's not the gospel to say you are approved of, you are righteous, you are strong, you are beautiful in God's sight. The gospel says we're weak, we're ugly, we're, we need approval, we need to be cleansed and made righteous. Uh, but it's not anything that we can accomplish ourselves. So the doing comes out of the receiving of his grace, um, the trust that he makes us sufficient. And there's a freedom that comes with that. Um, to be able to serve and to do out of gratitude uh, instead of out of uh, fear that I'm not going to be enough, but I think probably everyone, whether they admit it or not, struggles with this fear that I'm just not enough. Someone's going to find out what I really am. Someone's going to discover that I'm not all that, um, and and God already knows it, <laughs> uh, and, and he's saying, I, I can free you from that uh, by making you righteous, and then you can serve in a different kind of way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because he doesn't even uh in that passage there in in hebrews uh, hebrews in, in in matthew 11 he doesn't throw out one set of laws and to do's and give a new set of laws and to do's um he is he he, he uh, i think he's alleviating the pain of pe that people feel i think that you were right uh, i can't measure up i can't do all these things um uh, and that, I think, is a universal feeling. I think one universal feeling that people have inside and outside of God is uh, a feeling of guilt and a feeling of shame. And maybe some people don't know everything they should be ashamed of, but everyone feels that embarrassment and that guilt and that shame. And what Jesus does is he invites us to come to him uh, so that we can have that um, th that taken care of. And he then gives us, uh, he, he says, take my yoke uh, upon you for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So he isn't saying live carelessly and live without any constraints. Um, it, but the point that he's making is that rather than um, the idea that I need to work on personal self-conquest and personal um, uh, 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 perfection, uh, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to conform myself to that perfect one, uh, that self-sacrificing Jesus. One passage I think illustrates this well is in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And so there is that idea there that, um, that everything I'm trying to do, the life I live in the flesh um, I live by faith in the Son of God. So here I am, and I'm trying to struggle it out, and I'm trying to do this, but the point is Christ, the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me, is the one who is alive in me. And so it's not all up to me anymore. I get that help. I get that relief and that freedom that you were mentioning, Justin, uh, that, oh man, I'm never going to measure up, but with Christ in me, uh, with the cleansing power of Christ, uh, I can be something better than I've ever been uh, by his grace and power. And Philippians 3, be found in him not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law. And Paul elsewhere talks about he's the chiefest of sinners because of the persecutions he did. But that is 
which, uh, but that which is through the faith of God, the righteousness, which is of God by faith. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think Sorry. one of the things I was thinking about with, with what you guys were talking about is one thing that's helpful in talking about, you know, what, what are the benefits of godliness and righteousness living with God is realizing the alternative. Uh, and it's kind of the idea of, uh, you know, the, the good news is not as good until you know the bad news. And that seems to be kind of the pattern that Paul follows in Romans, where he starts with the bad news. And that really amplifies the good news when you understand the bad news. And so if you're not living a life of godliness and, and serving God and experiencing that, you know, freedom, and it's interesting, you started with Matthew 11, um, the Bible refers to godliness and following God and being, being one of Jesus's, you know, people as being free. But in Matthew 11, he also calls it a yoke. So it's, there's also a, a work, a responsibility, a sort of slavery that's involved with godliness. Um, it's not just free to do whatever you want, but the yoke is light. Um, and that's, I think, in comparison to the yoke of the other master that you could choose. And that's kind of what Paul talks about in Romans chapter 6, um, where Romans 6 and verse 16 he says, do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. Um, so you're going to be a slave of something. And maybe that's something that people aren't really aware of. Um, the idea of freedom uh, really boils down to what, or what master that you want more. And it's so much more valuable to have a master that is really concerned for your best, you know, interest and your well-being, God, yeah. than the master of sin, which only results in death. Um, so I think that's important to bring up in this discussion too. Scott? Sure, I'll, I'll try to abbreviate it uh, because I may have done it here before, but I'd like to share a thought on this passage. Come unto me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Two things there. It's, it's not light and easy every minute, every day. There are times when we have to do things that are hard. But everything in life, it's by doing hard things that life is actually easier. Um, you guys are married, you guys are parents. Is there occasionally a hard time in marriage and a hard time in parenting? But when you deal with it, like with children, you know, all discipline for the moment is not joyous but grievous, but it yields the peaceful fruit. Uh, I don't enjoy changing the oil on my car, but it sure beats not changing the oil. Uh, so it doesn't mean that, you know, if you're a Christian, just sit back and, you know, just in a lazy boy all the way to heaven. But here's the illustration I wanted to share. Um, have I done this here on here, the parable of the two dogs? All right. I don't so, remember that. Um, there, there's a man who lives in a city, tall apartment building, and he's rescued two strays. And one has accepted that he is the master and one hasn't. He's just got one leash, and that's going to represent the yoke here. And so he, you know, needs to take him out for a walk, but he's got one leash, so he'll take him out one at a time. Dog number one hates the leash. He can't stand it. It's, it, 
it's so choking and restraining you can't stand it when he sees it he starts growling and pushing back and the fellow had to kind of fight to put him on drag him to the elevator they get down and they start walking he sees a cat in the alley across the street what does that dog do jason yeah yeah and what happens at leash gets tight real quick (laughs) pulls him back maybe falls down and then he wants to chase his kid on a bike he wants to chase that taxi he and the the leash is just constantly tight gets to the park you know wants to eat a duck bite a kid you know and he he can't do anything he wants to do and he goes back and because he's stiff neck he has a really sore neck second dog sees the leash he's like you know leash goes on him and they go for a walk he sees that cat across the street and he might start step right there there's a little tug and what's the second dog do he just comes back walks with the master he sees that bike at the red light, but there's a little tug, and he comes right back. Occasionally, he's tempted by a duck or something. He comes back, and he walks with his master, runs with his master. And what does that, what does the leash look like this time? Because he's walking with his master. He comes back, and he's all happy. First dog looks at his happy face, and he's like, why are you happy? I got to go on a walk with my master. Didn't he put the leash on you? Yeah. Isn't your neck sore and chafed? No. Wasn't it tight and choking you all the time? No. Actually, I could have got run over a time or two, but there was a little tug and I came back and walked with my master. He said, I'm choked all the time. And the other dog says, maybe you haven't, you know, understood who the master is because we were both astray. And he took us in. And maybe you just want somebody to put food in your bowl and let you act however you want. Mm-hmm. I understand he loves me and he knows what's best. And so sometimes if we feel just chafed and just, oh, God's rules are so restrictive, maybe it's not the yoke that's the problem. Maybe it's our neck. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it reminds me a little bit of the proverb in uh, Proverbs 16. 25 there's a way that seems right to a man but its end is death um and uh you know the sooner that we accept that god knows more than us about life he designed life he designed us he knows how things work it's actually a real blessing to have him giving us instructions on how to live and it's kind of like the you know the cheats to life like here's how you have a good life here here's how you you enjoy things here's how you you know avoid problems um, you know, that's great. That's a huge blessing to have. Justin. I think, so I'm listening to all this and I'm imagining a conversation with someone who doesn't believe in God. And they say, look, there's an easy solution to this, you know, kill the master and make a break for it. <laughs> you know, like, you know, just get out of here. And that way you don't have to worry about a leash or a master and you can just be free. Um, but that's just, that's not reality. The, the truth is that there are still uh, dangers out in the street. There's still taxi cabs that'll run over you. Uh, there are still other dogs that are bigger and worse than you are. We live in a dangerous world. And, and the fact of it is, and this is something that I just keep coming back to again and again in training children and trying to be trained myself and uh, talking with people is we each have a master. We've, we've been designed as dependent 
people. And so you can't go through life thinking, I'll just be free and get to decide what I want to do. That was, I think, the offering that Satan made to Eve in the garden was if you eat this, then you'll get to be like God and you'll get to make up your own rules. And that was really what was so attractive about this thing. Uh, God had told her yes to everything and no to this one thing. And so she saw the leash and said, let me get rid of the leash and I'll be my own master. We just don't really have that choice. It's not serve God or do what you want. It's serve God or choose a different master. Uh, and every other master except for God is a terrible tyrant. Uh, so we've got to choose a good master and, and he's, we want to let him be the, the captain of our, of our soul. You know, the stray dog that runs away from a master and is a stray dog in New York City. He's going to have a miserable existence. And he's going to have a master. He's, his hunger, his hunger will tell him what to do. Uh, his fear will tell him what to do. So it may not be a human master, but it'll be something that's mastered him. So we may not have a God that we pray to, uh, but we'll have some defining principle in life that we say, this is what I bend my will to. Uh, and all of those things, is, they're going to defeat us in the end. Dan? Well, in at the end of Titus chapter 2, there's a paragraph, there's a set of verses that I think really well illustrate um, and these ideas. If, if someone doesn't believe in God, I, I still think that, that what it's trying to say in Titus 2, starting in verse 11, is something that can make sense. Um, whether the whether the rules in the bible are the right rules that's the question that we need to work with when we're talking with someone who doesn't believe with god believe in god whether the bible rules are the right rules that's a valid question but the principle here i think is really compelling and inviting uh, titus chapter 2 verse 11 for the grace of god has appeared bringing salvation for all people training us to renounce ungodliness with worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of, of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness, and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. And so we have a God who um, has shown up and by grace and by favor and interest and and the joy that he's bringing he's just offered salvation to people and this is a god that maybe people don't think about when when you're talking about god and the bible they always are thinking about something that's just restrictive and thou shalt not this is a god who's coming with with blessings and growth and life and part of that is to train us to renounce these kinds of things and you might not call, someone in the world might not call it ungodliness, but worldly passions and to have self-control and to be upright, these are ideals that even in this world are valued. There are people who have seen the, the depravity of, of drugs, the depravity of pornography, the depravity of this self-indulgent lifestyle. These are the phrases that people recognize, well, this is what I want. I do want to renounce that selfish lazy, procrastinating, never accomplishing anything lifestyle. And they might have just so that I can get a good job or so that I can make a lot of money. That's a pretty small um, vision, but it is a vision that people even in the world might comprehend. 
So God is here and he's giving us the self-control or giving us the training to have that self-controlled life so that we can then hope in that better thing. And that better thing isn't just a job and it isn't just um, a lot of money, but it's the reappearing of God who came once to buy us out of our mess. Um, if, if I do get the good job and I do get all that money, it might not cover up the fact that I have skeletons in my closet. You know, so, you know, thinking like a politician, if I do get success and I do have all these things going for me, I know the skeletons in my closet. And if they are ever discovered, I might lose my career. Jesus, on the other hand, comes and he cleans those things up and gives us a hope that is better than just a career or just political power. Justin or Jonathan? Um, yeah, what you're saying it reminded me of First uh, Timothy four um, in verse eight that says, "While bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise in this life and also in the life to come." Um, there, there's one of the primary aspects of what godliness should appeal to is that idea of hope that we have. You know, the life to come, what God will will free us from this life. The creation is subjected to futility, but we don't have to live in a futile creation forever. We can live with God for eternity, where there are no tears, where there's no sin, where there's God's glory, uh, all of those things. And that helps us to get through some of the hard things in life that worldliness cannot get you through. Um, and he thinks about like First Thessalonians chapter 4, where Paul is talking about, you know, dealing with the, the grief of losing loved ones. Um, that's hard. De death is a challenging thing to come face to face with. And Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4, we don't grieve uh, like others do that have no hope. Mm -hmm. um, there's still grief involved. It still hurts, but it's different. It, it's kind of on a different plane. It, it's more possible for us to kind of overcome that. And so those are some of the benefits, you know, beyond this life. But there are benefits just practically living here in godliness too. First Timothy says there, there's value in this present life. And uh, when you pitched this, this uh, to us, Dan, I, I wrote down some Proverbs that it, that it uh, helped me think of. Um, and one of them was Proverbs 28, verse 1, that says, The wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. And there are a number of other Proverbs and statements in the wisdom literature like that, that living life in wickedness is really stressful. <laughs> um, it, it, you don't get any sleep. You're always looking over your shoulder. Liars have to, I've heard people say liars have to have the best memory because you have to remember what lie you told to who, and you're constantly worried about being found out. But if you just live good and godly, you don't have to worry about all that stuff. You, you can just be stress-free, have a nice life. And like we've said before, you know, it's not just, you know, sitting on your lazy boy doing nothing. There are challenges to godliness and living as a Christian, but you don't have to go through all of the heartache that sin introduces into your life. Um, you know, killing someone when you're drunk, um, you're not going to do that. You're not going to be a drunk driver. So you don't have to carry that, that guilt or that grief with you. Um, you don't have to remember all the lies that you've told to everyone because you're, you're not a liar. You're truthful. There's just so many things that you avoid in this life by pursuing godliness that you'll get wrapped up with in sin and anyone in the world and anyone that's experienced uh you know that that kind of slavery that sin puts you in will tell you that the slavery in in god's kingdom is so much lighter so much better um than the slavery that sin puts on you justin you had your hand up 
you're saying it really well. Uh, so I almost want you to just keep going. But uh, we brought up First Timothy four. Uh, Paul emphasizes godliness in Second Timothy as well, uh, and there he talks about an appearance of godliness. Um, serving God is hard. Um, it's harder to fake it than just to actually sincerely do it. And I think part of our trouble is in not wanting to be godly and not wanting to do what's right and because we don't really want to. Uh, and we're, so we're trying to force ourselves to do things when we'd rather be doing other things. We, we'd almost rather continue to sin. We'd almost rather continue to live for self. But we're trying to convince ourselves that serving God is good uh, while we're peering over the shoulder at serving ourselves and sinning. Uh, but, but Paul addresses that in 2 Timothy 3, where he talks about people in verse uh, well, verse three, they don't love good. Verse four, they love pleasure rather than loving God. In verse five, they have the appearance of godliness, but they deny its power. There's a kind of power that comes with living for God. Uh, godliness is not so much godlikeness as it is the idea of being loyal to God, of, of living in response to God, acting like God's real, like he's in the room with you. And so Paul goes on to talk about the suffering that he himself faces and might think, well, I see wicked people who are living their lives and they're not suffering at all for it. But Paul is choosing a life of suffering, which most of us will, will probably get. Most of us will go through life suffering something. What is it that made Paul choose godliness with suffering rather than wickedness with the potential of no suffering? He thought that uh, what he got out of godliness was, was worthwhile. Uh, he continues to say in 2 Timothy 3, verse 14, he tells Timothy, continue in what you've learned, have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Now, he's looking ahead. He's looking for this completion, this perfection in verse 17. He's always looking for the hope that this promise of godliness fulfills. Uh, so even if you have to suffer for the sake of obeying God, Paul says it's better than living a wicked life and getting away with it because you're not going to have a hope of salvation. You're not going to have the promise fulfilled of being with God forever. Um, that's just, he goes on in chapter four, talking about the appearance of his kingdom, uh, what it's going to look like for Jesus to return. That, that's what we need to be looking forward to is, is the look on Jesus' face when you finally get to see him after you've suffered for the sake of godliness. Um, I, I, I hope to see pleasure and pride and joy in his eyes when I see him face to face. And again, there's, there's just a lot of, uh, there's a lot of relief to know that we aren't, we don't do this by ourselves and we don't do it um, I mean, there's the massive doctrine, you you know, it is not of your own doing, it is of God. And so we can, we can learn about how it's not by our own power. Um, and, but underneath that doctrine is just the reality. If it's not by me, if it's by God, that's a really good blessing. Because one of the things that I'm, I'm pretty successful at is failure. Uh, that means that with Christ, I'm gonna, I, I'm going to do better. Uh, I'm able to succeed. I'm able to be a victor. Uh, two, two of the passages that I 
read already, but Galatians 2.20, the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the, uh, sorry, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives with me in the life I live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm not the one who's alive. Well, well, of course I am. I'm, I'm right here. So I'm living, I'm breathing, I'm talking, but I'm not the one who's alive. It's Christ who's in me. And Christ is the one who already loved me and already died for me. And that's the one who's inside me. That's an absolute blessing to know that Jesus is in me, helping me do the very things that he wants me to do. Uh, what I read from Titus chapter two, talking about how um, the, the, we are looking for the, the appearing of, of, of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, like Justin was just talking about, that one who's going to appear, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession. And so we're looking forward to that one who not only is he inside me, helping me do and be right, he's the one who did all the purchasing. He's the one who's made all the investments. He's the one who's who's doing that purifying work. Again, I have to do more than try to just sit around and a lazy boy. But the point of those passages is just how much help we have. We can be successful. We can be victorious in this problematic world. Jonathan. Yeah, I want to um, add something to what I what I said to so at the at the end I said you know some of the slavery that you might experience in the world is uh, the guilt of being the drunk driver that kills someone or uh, or, or something along those lines um, you know you, you'd be free you never have to experience that if you submit yourself to godliness but what if you have experienced that what if you have been that person um, and you're feeling that guilt you're feeling that trapped um, kind of feeling under sin, um, there's still hope in turning to godliness for those mm -hmm. people. And I just want to make that clear. Um, it's not like, oh, you've already fallen. And so you can't experience the freedom that God uh, is, is offering. Um, and Paul is the perfect, perfect example of that. In First Timothy chapter one, yeah. uh, he, he lays himself out and says in verse 12, I thank him who judged, uh, who has given me strength, Christ Jesus, our Lord, because he judged me faithful appointed me to his service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. Um, and he goes on to say, you know, I received this mercy basically to prove that if God could show mercy to me and love me, he can show mercy to anyone and love anyone. Um, so if, if you, you know, one of the listeners and maybe you felt trapped in worldliness uh, and under the slavery of sin, it's not that hope is all lost. Um, God still offers that same freedom, um, which is, you know, I think maybe more appealing because <laughs> um, we've all been trapped under the, the, bond, the bondage of slavery, uh, but maybe some feel that a little bit more strongly than, than others. I just wanted to pose a question here. Um, I'd love to hear what, what each of you would say to this. Um, what, what, is, what have been some personal benefits you've experienced from doing this God's way, from, from obeying God, from pursuing godliness? And I'm not asking for you, know, you to pat yourself on the back and make yourself such an example of upright living. <laughs> yeah, that's actually counter to godliness. Godliness, again, is it's walking in the fear of God. God's the great one. 
but how how have you personally benefited from trying to obey God, Scott? So years ago, I was praying with a buddy, and he said, "Thank you, God, for rules." And it really struck me because I'm a guy that doesn't like rules, and he's a guy who most of his life did not like rules. Um. And I remember in high school, now my friends, you know, would lie, would drink. Uh, some of them would sleep with girls. And the uh, they sometimes criticize me for not doing those things. But one time one of them said to me, he said, Scott, it's a good thing you're religious because if you weren't, you would be worse than any of us. And I realized he was right because I'm a person that when I like something, I tend to really pursue it. So if I would have started drinking, I don't think I would have been one of those guys. It's like, well, I'm feeling pretty tipsy. I think that's enough. No, if I was enjoying it, I'd want to keep doing it. If I got into drugs, I'd want to keep doing it. Um, and so I, I needed those restraints. My buddy did too. He had been He'd been a drug dealer, a drug addict. He'd been bouncing his strip joint and stolen some stuff from the mob. Uh, and like we talked about afterwards, he said, I'd be dead or in jail, you know, without God's rules. Um, and he and I both realized we need God's rules. Deuteronomy 6 said, my commandments are for your good. Amen. Uh, all you guys are raising kids. Uh, you know more than your kids, but the gap between your kids' knowledge and your knowledge is smaller than the gap between us and God. Where would our kids be without our guidance and our rules? And we need God's rules. And I was going to ask you guys to comment on this passage. And then whoever wants to say some other things, too, if someone wants to talk about some other things, too, but before we close, I'd like somebody to comment on this passage from Peter, which is from Psalm 34 that Dan um, uh, touched on in, in his note about topic today. But first, I want before we get to this passage, I want to see anybody else who wants to respond to uh, Justin's question. Now, one of the things um, that I guess I'm, I'm still trying to learn, but in talking with some other people, I've realized that uh, I think Christians by and large understand this a lot better uh, is the, the idea uh, in first Timothy where Paul says that godliness with contentment is great gain. Um, the, the ability to be content is um, something that not most people in the world have, but I think Christians can have, there's an interesting passage in Ecclesiastes six. Um, I'll just read it really quick. Cause there's an interesting phrase. Uh, in Ecclesiastes 6, verse 1, he says, There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, and it lies heavy on mankind, a man to whom God gives wealth, possessions, and honor, so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires. Yet God does not give him the power to enjoy them, but a stranger enjoys them. This is a vanity. Um, the idea of just having a lot and still being hungry for more, not being able to enjoy what you have, um, you know, I... I need to be better at being content with what God has given me, but understanding who God is and having a relationship with God has helped me to be able to be more content than I've noticed a lot of my friends in the world are. Um, I, I don't have a lot in worldly standards, 
Um, you know, I'm not wealthy or close to wealthy, but I'm happy. <laughs> um, uh, I have a good life. I'm really blessed. Um, there are challenges that I have in my life, just like everyone else. Um, hard things that I have to deal with, um, you know, the, the stains of sin um, and, and even things that I haven't caused myself that are challenging and difficult and weighty. But mostly I feel joyful. Um, you know, I feel happy, feel content with life. And I think that's a blessing from God. That's something that not everyone in the world can do. You just look around um, at people in the world that have excess. Um, how many worldly people that are wealthy are truly joyful all the time and, and just content with it? Let's, you know, read the news, watch, watch, a, watch a, news, a news story about, you know, people that are in wealth. Most of it is miserable. Um, and I think God frees us, you know, from that. So the idea of contentment, something that I, I like I said, I still need to learn and, and grow in more, um, but it's a real liberating freedom. Uh, that, that God gives. Absolutely. Well, Scott, you you you're talking about this passage here in First Peter three. I'll, I'll go ahead and read ten and eleven and twelve. Whoever desires uh, to love life and to see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Verse 11, I'm always interested in finding the verses that will make sense to the people who are not interested in God. Verse 11 makes sense, whether you're interested in God or not. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. This is what the world wants. This is what everybody wants. We want a people that are going to do this. This is what's going to make our countries make more sense. This is what are going to make our our businesses, our schools, our communities, people who are turning away from evil and doing good, who are seeking peace and pursue it. Um, th that's, what this, that's what the world wants because we know that there are so many selfish-minded people who are going against that. And so if, oh, if we would just, if we would just give peace a chance, then, then this would overcome. And so that's a general truth in the world. The, the difficulty is there are so many pieces and there are so many truths and there are so many visions of good out there and they're all competing against one another right now. And uh, the way to overcome that confusion and the way to overcome the craziness of the multiple pieces and the multiple truths that are in competition and warring against one another, leading us to this great fear of a total war of every man for himself and everyone is my enemy. We need, we need to know what's the right one? What is the right truth? What's the big answer on top of all the problems that we see around us? There's got to be a God out there with the answers. And whenever we want to have a good life and we want to turn away from evil and we want to pursue the good, we want to find this God who is looking out for us. We want to find this God who is offering us that truth. And, and, and I sincere, sincerely believe that you know, the words of God in the Bible are the, are the path toward that. And when, the more that we read and meditate on it, the more the more uh, true and realistic and believable they become, the more I can trust in God. And that's how we, I think we can really offer help to people who are seeing this competition of multiple truths and multiple options and multiple rights uh, leading to just a big pile of wrong, is that God has a better way. Mm -hmm. Amen. And it shouldn't surprise us because he made us. <laughs>
Right. Right. It turns out following the manufacturer's uh, instructions works pretty well. Um, I, I remember being asked uh, some years back, um, and I'll try not to give too many details because it's a situation that's still sensitive uh, for me personally and for people I'm connected with. But you know, there, there was someone who was getting ready to make some decisions, had already made some decisions that were just going to uh, devastate my family, um, just absolutely devastate my family. And I didn't understand it all at the time. I was really young, um, but I was a Christian. And um, it, this person asked me, if this thing happens, are you going to be okay? And naively, I said, yes. Uh, I had no idea what was coming. <laughs> um, but my thought at the time was, well, it doesn't matter what happens. I'm going to obey God, and God's bigger than all of this. Mm -hmm. uh, and that was not a naive thought. Uh, it was just, I didn't know what was coming, but I knew that whatever was coming, and when it did, it hurt. You know, we, we suffered greatly. Um, you know, just, and we're, we still suffer in different ways with that today. Um, but the fact is that when you obey God, and when you just trust God, like this passage here in First Peter 3 you've been looking at, um, it's not that you've made the right decisions, you've jumped through the right hoops, so you have secured for yourself some comfortable life. Is that there is a God who is seeking those who are trusting him, who are doing right. And um, a friend of ours, um, Simon Harris and Teresa Harris, they have t-shirts that came from, uh, from a situation they lived through. Um, you know, they had a daughter that passed away because of cancer. And the saying on the t-shirt says, it doesn't affect my salvation. Um, you know, <laughs> it doesn't matter what, what you're going through. You know, it just, you're going to be okay. And uh, kind of back to that contentment idea is when you're, when you're trusting in the God who made you, who's going to direct your path and you just hold his hand, uh, you know, what, what do you got? I mean, what, what do you got that's going to take that away from you? Uh, on the outside of it, I'll, I'll say to others, who don't have that assurance is you want what I've got. You, you want the kind of peace that comes from facing whatever uncertainty is going to come my way, knowing that God, God's going to be taking care of me. Mm -hmm. And, and one way, really just trying to put another set of phrases onto, onto what you're saying, Justin, because, because I agree with those ideas. Um, that story really well illustrates it. Um, Jesus puts it very succinctly in the in the Beatitudes, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Um, there is no satisfaction down here. <laughs> um, that's one of the exciting things. If I'm going to be a great painter, I may never be satisfied, and I will always improve, and I will always grow, and that's part of the human experience. experience. Well, but the Hmm? Your paintings will be worth something after you die. Yeah, there is that, right? Um, and so that's part of the human experience. It, there, there's the challenge of growing and doing more. And that's that's a positive aspect. Oh, I'm not satisfied. Let me do more. But the 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 tragic side of dissatisfaction on this earth, that's what we almost always day-to-day -day bump into. 
uh, I want this thing and it's not going to make me satisfied even if I do get it. But the blessed are those who do hunger and thirst after righteousness because they are going to be satisfied. One, because you're going to get righteousness. You're going to be connected with God. But beyond that, once you're connected with God and you have his righteousness and you are living a righteous life, you have satisfaction in so many avenues and so many ways of life. And the poets tell us to go out and look at the daffodils and to enjoy the colorful leaves and to see the beautiful things that are out there. If we have satisfaction in God, we can take the time in a terrible day and look at a flower and have joy, not because the flower is throwing away all of my sadness, but because I am satisfied in God. And when I have satisfaction in God, all the little blessings um, uh, are, are genuine and sincere blessings. I can see the beauty in the world around me because of my satisfaction in him. Yeah, that's kind of uh, summarized by David in Psalm 23, uh, verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Um, Amen. And that's one of the blessings of having God as your shepherd. Amen. Well, cool. So we're a little bit past time, but thank you uh, guys for your discussion and that. Thank you to our audience for tuning in with us today in that discussion. If you have some questions or comments about what we discussed today or anything else you'd like us to discuss on the show, you can visit our website at BibleQuest.tv and you can leave your questions or your comments there. We'll be looking forward to talking about those in the future. That's all that we have for this week. And so we will plan on seeing everyone next week, Lord willing.